As we've already said, we're going to deal with evangelism. That's our passage in Colossians today. So if you have your Bible, you can take it and turn to Colossians chapter 4. That's where we are. Colossians chapter 4. As Paul turns to this very important subject of evangelism. And so let me, you can follow. Oh, you may also want to grab these uh Message notes out of your celebration folder. It's got the passage that we're going to deal with, the primary passage, as well as some others, and also some spaces in there where you can write some notes if you care to do so. But here's the, the passage that we're looking for in our study of Colossians. Here we were, is where we find ourselves this morning. Colossians chapter four, beginning with verse two. Follow along. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Three points out of this passage that we want to deal with this morning. Here's the first one. Is that evangelism starts with prayer. Or it ends. Evangelism starts with prayer. Or it ends. I believe that prayer is the most underutilized tool of evangelism. And so evangelism starts by us just getting serious about praying for the lost people around us. Individually choosing to do that, collectively choosing to do that, as a small group deciding to do that. In fact, I've long believed that there is no more effective means of reaching lost people, of of winning people into being open, than a small group that will get serious about doing evangelism together. And it starts... By praying together for lost people. That's why in our groups we encourage them each week to make that a part of what they do. To spend some time praying for the list that you create of lost people in your life. Not 4 million and 11 of them, but everybody having a person or maybe a couple of people on the list. And that each week we pray for those people, for for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, to create the circumstances, to open their eyes, to be willing to embrace the gospel. We use a board like this in uh, many of our groups. And uh, there's nothing magic about this board. It just, in fact, we have it broken down into levels. There's nothing magic about the levels, but it just kind of gives you an idea of seeing where people are. And it's really exciting when you see progress happening in people's life and you can kind of move them along. I'll tell you, tell you a series of stories. Again, I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of people bow their knee to Jesus Christ as their Savior through a group choosing to work together to pray for those people and do evangelism together. So here's one set of stories that's my, for my life. It started for us, this was a small group that we were a part of. We weren't leading it, we were just in this group. And uh, it started that there was a gal in our group who had a friend and her name was Norma. And uh, we put Norma on our list, we prayed for Norma. Uh, we reached out to, I mean, our group, in addition to praying, we regularly did fun things that we would invite these people that we were praying for to come to, and Norma came to a couple of things, and uh, 
after a while, Norma uh, bowed her knee to Jesus, started coming to church, gave her life to Christ as her Savior, just like Susan kind of in the play there, and uh, gave her life to Jesus and um, started coming to our group. Well, uh, Norma, after she started coming, she had a sister named Naomi, and uh, she wanted to put her sister Naomi on the board. And so sure enough, we put Naomi on the board and uh, started praying for Naomi, and Naomi came to some of the things that we did as a group, and after a while, started coming to church and gave her life to Jesus too. We were very excited. Naomi got in our group as well. So Norma and Naomi were a part of our group. And again, as was our habit, we just continued to pray and continued to add people. And uh, Naomi added her boyfriend, James. Now, James was more than her boyfriend. They had lived together for a number of years. In fact, they had a three-year-old son together. And uh, James... Well, like I told you, you know, we kind of break people down into levels kind of just as a way of knowing where they are. And level six in our little chart there is called hostile. And uh, not every non-Christian is there, but I've certainly known some non-Christians that are at that level six, right? Well, James grew up in a gang and uh, had escaped the gangs, but he worked to this day, uh, worked with gangs for the city of Houston, Okay. So if, if level six was hostile, James was like level 12. I don't, you know, I mean, that's really where he was. Nothing to, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But we started praying for James. Well, over the course of time, as Naomi was growing in her faith, and again, I'm compacting this very short, but this took months and months. But over time, uh, Naomi was really seeing God working in her life and changing in her life. And she came to the conviction by the Holy Spirit that she really needed to move out. She loved James, but they weren't married. And uh, she decided that that's what God would have her to do. And so uh, we helped her with some of those things to be able to do those kinds of things. And uh, so she moved out and she still was having a relationship, you know, with James. But she was, you know, it was different. There was change because Jesus Christ was transforming her. We continued to pray for James. He was on our list. Well, wouldn't you know it? And this isn't the way it normally happens. Non-believers don't normally just show up at your group. But one night, James comes to the group. Now, he didn't come mad, you know, but he came to the group. And uh, we, that's one of the great things about having something like this where you can erase names to move them up because if someone like that, you can just, you know, okay, we'll take James' name right off there. Uh, And uh, you don't do that because you're doing anything covert. You just don't want to put them on the spot. You know, look, we're praying for you, James, right there. Uh, um, So, you know, we just kind of wiped that name off and we did the same thing like we always did. We still prayed for non-believers that night and, and stuff. And, and, and this is honestly how it went. We finished uh, our praying that time. And uh, James looked up and he says, can I ask a question? He said, sure. He says, okay, so that's a list of people who don't know Jesus, but you're praying that they will. And we said, yeah. He says, well, can I add my name to the list? We thought, oh, what the heck? Why not? Let's put you on here. And uh, so we kind of explained the levels, and he had put himself higher than we had him. So it's good. There was progress already going on, see? And uh, honest to Pete, this is how it went. This is not normal. I've never seen it go like this any other group and so forth. James continued to come to group. And uh, after a, a couple of months, he like, I mean, well, it was about a month. He said, you know, I think I'm ready to go up further up the list. And he kept, mo- I mean, over a series of months, he kept moving himself up the list. Started coming to church, and uh, it was a very great day, the day that James bowed his knee to Jesus and uh, received him as his Savior. And uh, again, it didn't happen immediately, but then shortly thereafter, over time, uh, we had the chance to marry James, 
and uh, Naomi. They moved back in together, and James and Naomi, over time, became great small group leaders, and uh, to this day, they still serve in that church in Houston as small group coaches. Well, the story doesn't end there. James worked with a, uh, a lady named Janet, and Janet, um, again, for the city of Houston, working with gangs, Janet had noticed a change in James. And so um, she became interested in the group because, again, by this time, we our group had multiplied. Janet and I weren't in that group anymore. But uh, my Janet and my, my Janet and me weren't in that group anymore. But that other group had Janet on their, their list. They were praying for her. And they did fun things just like everybody else, you know, and invited these people. And uh, I remember the first thing that where we had the chance to meet Janet, we had come to an event that this group was doing. Again, we were not in that group anymore, but we still had a relationship, and so we had come to this event. And I remember my wife, Janet, introducing herself for the first time to this new lady, and she said, um, my name's Janet, I live with a guy who I'm not married to, and I don't want to change that. And uh, my wife said, well, okay, hi, my name's Janet too. I mean, you know, I mean, what do you say to that? It's like, okay, how about those Astros? I don't know, what do you say? So, um... Nobody was putting any pressure on her for that or anything. And, but um, again, over the course of time, uh, Janet uh, surrendered her life to Christ. And uh, she started feeling this conviction of the Holy Spirit that, you know, she was living. Now, again, she was living with a guy named Terry. Uh, and they had lived together for seven years. Uh, Janet had a daughter, Savannah, who wasn't Terry's daughter, but... Terry had been the only father figure Savannah had ever known. It's very complex. But she came to the place where she felt like God would have her as an act of obedience to move out. And I was so proud of that group, how they came together. And she had nothing, nothing that was her own. And they came together and found and gathered furniture and dishes and silverware. And Janet and Savannah moved into that apartment, and that group helped her be able to do that. They continued to pray. Again, she loved Terry. And this group had done such a wonderful job of reaching out and loving Terry, even as they were moving her out of Terry's home. They, they continued, and Terry continued to come to things that this group would do. And over time, Terry gave his life to Jesus Christ. I had the privilege to baptize Terry. I had the privilege to be able to marry Janet and Terry. It was a very exciting thing. Now, aren't those cool stories? See, but what I don't want you to lose in the midst of all those stories is where does it start? It starts when we get serious about praying for the lost people in our lives. Where you think, okay, so what do we pray for? Well, let me give you a couple of things. I think right here from this passage in Colossians. First thing is we pray for open doors and opportunities. Paul says in verse uh, three, and pray for us too that God may open a door. For our message, he says in verse five, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. You pray for open doors and opportunities because you see, here's what the problem is. Here's a key verse for you to know. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four says this. The God of this age, little G, God of this age. Who's it talking about there? Who? Satan, the devil, the evil one, right? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, there are these roadblocks the evil one puts in their way 
to keep them from seeing that they need Jesus, to keep them from seeing how much Jesus loves them. S.D. Gordon talks about that in his book, Quiet Talks on Prayer. That, that the devil puts these barriers that keeps them from seeing a Savior who loves them more than they could imagine being loved. And they can be all sorts of things. Sometimes they're things like the hypocrisy of others. And they can't see Jesus because that roadblock is in the way. Maybe it's something like uh, someone's sin against them that's just so painful, that has wounded them so much that they can't see beyond that personal offense against them. Maybe it's some hurt or some pain that they've gone through in life. And, and that becomes like scar tissue that all they can see is where was God when that happened or how could God allow that to happen in my life? And, and that becomes a roadblock that keeps them from being able to see Jesus. Maybe it's some sort of faulty reasoning. You know, I've had, I've had non-believers say to me, well, there's all those errors in the Bible. And uh, you know what I've learned to ask when people say that is like, well, can we talk about that? Here, let, let, let's talk about them. Let, why don't we just, why don't you name some of them? And most of the time they, they go, well, um, well, I guess I really don't have, I don't know, but there's all those errors in the Bible. In fact, I'm amazed at the number of people that when you, when you want to talk about those things, when, when you really get to them, they've never even read the Bible. But see, somewhere along the way, they've had this roadblock put in front of them that, well, there's all those errors in the Bible. Another guy I know from Houston is uh, Ted. Ted was a, um, a NASA engineer, and uh, Ted was an ardent atheist. And uh, he had decided that God was a bunch of hooey, and uh, there was no God in the Bible. It's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. But in a moment of clarity, he admitted to himself, but, you know, to be honest, I have never read the Bible. I mean, none of it, I, not, not a word of it. And he thought, you know, I mean, it's all a bunch of hooey anyway, but I guess I should at least be, you know, a well-read disbeliever, you know, atheist. And uh, so, again, just to be consistent, he decided he was going to read the Bible just so that he could verify that it was a bunch of hooey. And he um, went, hooey, that's the technical term. Um, so he, he, he didn't know. He asked people, well, I don't know, I mean, how do, you, how do you read the Bible and so forth? And people told him, well, you can read so many chapters a day and read it in a year. And so he thought, I, I can never do this for a year. I mean, who could do that? And so he went to the Barnes and Noble and he found the, the smallest Bible he could find, you know, and uh, he opened it up and he kind of did some figuring. And with that particular Bible that he had found, he found that if he read 12 pages a day, he would be able to do it in three months. So he let, set out on a journey to faithfully read 12 pages a day so that he could read through the Bible, and at about a month and a half in, he got saved. Gave his life to Jesus Christ. And uh, Ted went on to develop a program that you can buy this book from Zonder It's now. It's called Through the Bible in 90 Days. You know, it just kind of takes you through. You can read the Bible. If you'll do it disciplined, you can read it through in 90 days. And in the midst of his journey, he found out that God is who he claims to be, and there's not a bunch of errors in there. See, all the see, sometimes as Christians, we're like afraid, like, oh, what if they ask these questions? And what as if as if we're like on shaky ground. Listen to me, friends. All the truth is on our side. It really is. The God the, Yes, it's true. The God's word can hold its own water. See? And uh, we don't have to be afraid of that. Spurgeon used to say, open the cage and let the lion out. See? And so, but 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 again, it, it comes from being able to to deal with people and to be able to pray against these roadblocks that get put in their way.
So we pray for open doors and for opportunities. But not only that, here's the second thing we pray for. We pray that when given the opportunity, that we can present the gospel, this good news. That's what gospel means. Gospel just means good news. Isn't it good news that Jesus died on the cross in your place? Isn't it good news that you don't have to pay for your sin by spending eternity in hell? You can let Jesus pay for your sin for you. Isn't that good news? So you pray that when given the opportunity that you can present the gospel, this good news, clearly. That's what Paul says in verse 4. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, my experience has been that most Christians, if someone were to come up to them and say to them, hey, can you tell me how I can have a relationship with Jesus or how I can know God or however they might phrase it? Most Christians, their first prayer would be, God, just take me now. You know, they'd be so scared. So let me help you a little bit with that. I'd encourage you first that to just formulate your own story in a way that you can tell to other people. Okay, I think there's three parts to this. It's very simple. And uh, you may want to just do this. Here's your little homework for this week. You may want to do this. And uh, just maybe you can do it on your computer or you can do it on, you know, paper, whatever. But three parts. The first is, for about a minute's worth, tell about your life before you became a Christian. Now, I became a Christian at seven, so I don't have a whole lot, okay? Others of you became Christians and you got lots of stuff and lots of evil and lots of woundings and all of that. That's fine. Tell about that. I just, you know, don't spend 30 minutes talking about it. Some people, they share their story and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, four hours of all these terrible, awful things. And then, yeah, then I gave my life to Jesus. It's been good since. I mean, you know, about a minute worth of your life before. Then, second part, two, three minutes of tell when and how you crossed that line of faith. When and how it happened for you. When, there, there has to be a moment in time where you crossed from not believing to believing. When you crossed the line of not knowing Jesus personally to embracing the glorious gospel that Jesus died for you in your place to pay for your sin. Just tell in two, three minutes when and how you made that step across the line of faith. And then thirdly, for a minute or so, tell about uh, your life since, the impact, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Just, again, go home and write it out. I mean, not so that you can read it, but so that you can become comfortable that given the opportunity, you can tell someone, hey, here's my story, here's my life before, here's when and how, and here's my life since. And then there's some other really good tools that you can use to help you uh, give the gospel. We we have um, this gospel pamphlet that we've put together around here. And there's copies out there. This is great. You know, we we presented in eight uh, gospel truths that just tell the gospel story. And it's got the verses that go with it. You can say to someone, here, read this. And then let's talk about it. Or you can walk through it with them and just read as much as you want or as little as you want. I mean, this is a great tool to use. I like to use what I just call the ABCs. In fact, I'm fond of saying, you know... Uh, Becoming a Christian is as easy as A, B, C. Here's what they are. The A is you have to admit that you're a sinner. See, here's the problem. God's holy and we aren't. (laughs) You know, no matter how good you are, no matter how well you do, you're not holy. You're never going to get to holy. That's the problem. And so, um, 
So you, you got to know there's a problem. See, you're not open to a solution until you realize there's a problem, right? And the problem is you have to admit you're a sinner, that God is holy, you aren't. And so because of that, here's the B, you need to believe that Jesus died in your place on the cross to pay for your sin. Jesus died on the cross for you to pay your sin. There's the solution. Jesus died for me. His payment on the cross could pay for my sin if I'll let it. And that's the C part. You need to confess Jesus as your Lord. You need to receive that. It's not enough that Jesus died. I have to receive it. I have to embrace that gospel for myself. I have to accept what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sin. It's as easy as A, B, C. A lot of people, I I like this too. I've used this with people. It's just called the Romans Road. It's just four passages from the book of Romans. And uh, if you got your Bible, I'll I'll set you up right now. You only got to remember one reference. It's Romans 3.23. That's the only one you got to remember. So if I remember that, I can turn to my Bible. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, there's the problem. I have to admit that I'm a sinner. All of us are sinners. So in my Bible, next to Romans 3.23, I've written over in the margin 6.23. So that after we talk about that verse, we can just turn over to 6.23. And on by Romans 6.23, I'll read that. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's the problem with my sin is it is it leads to death. Not only death physically, but death spiritually, eternally separated from God. There's the issue. There's the problem that begs for a solution. But in my Bible, next to Romans 6.23, I've written... Five, eight. So that it reminds me to turn over to five, Romans five, eight, where it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus died on the cross in my place to pay for my sins. And then next to Romans five, eight in my Bible, I've written 10 verse nine, chapter 10, verse nine to remind me to turn over to that where it says that if you will confess with your mouth that uh, with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to take it for yourself. You have to confess Jesus as Lord. You have to receive his death on the cross to pay for your sins. That's another good way. And you only have to remember one reference if you mark your Bible up like that. But here's the important thing I want you to understand. It's not making a sales pitch. See, I think that's what gets us hung up. It's like, oh, I don't know the exact right words. Just like Susan in the drama, you God will give you the words, but we need to be prepared to enter into that conversation with people. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we do our part. We be ready, we get ready, so that given the opportunity, we can present the gospel clearly. Listen to me. It is none of our jobs to get anybody saved. That is not our jobs. But I do believe it is our responsibility to be ready when the opportunity comes and to be praying for God to give us the opportunity. So evangelism starts with prayer, or it ends. Here's the second point, is that many of us need some outsiders 
in our lives. And I'm borrowing Paul's language here from verse 5, where he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. You see, we need to intentionally create potential opportunities with outsiders, with non-Christians, and not allow ourselves to be trapped within our own little Christian subculture. Listen, if, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional about this, it's easy for us who've been Christians for a while to wake up one day and realize we don't even know any non-Christians. So we have to work on that. I'll tell you when this really impacted me. It was several years ago, and I've told this story before. Um, I, I went back to school, and part of my training was we went to, um, they took us to bars. And uh, groups of like three or four of us, Christians, and they took us to bars. And our only role was to spend over that week, it was uh, four, five nights that week, to, to just get in there and just talk to people. And, uh, you know, again, I became a Christian at seven. I didn't know a lot about going to the bars. Um, I didn't know the same people came back to the same bar every night. I didn't know that. But over the course of that week, you know, we just kind of, we would spread out and get to know people. And you, you know what I realized that week? Man, people need Jesus. They really do. I mean, you were just kind of finding their story and kind of building enough relationship with us here. And man, all, here, the good people, people who had bought the lies of the devil because they didn't know any better. And they'd blown through several marriages and, and had awful relationships with their kids and their life was full of pain all because they didn't know any better. People needed Jesus. Now, I, I knew people needed Jesus, but you know what that experience taught me? People need Jesus. See? It changed the way I lived. And, and listen to me. I, I don't have the gift of evangelism, okay? Now, it's important you understand it because those guys get up and preach these kind of messages and we just all go home feeling like troll spit. You know I mean? It's just... I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm the worst person in the world. I'm terrible. And, and I, you know, I need, and we, you know, we go through the drive through at Wendy's and we feel like we need to tell the person on the other end of the speaker about, you know, that. Listen, again, it's not my, it's not my job to get anybody safe, but it is my job to really care about the people around me that are lost and going to hell. To let people get close enough to me to see what an authentic Christian looks like. Not a perfect Christian. Flawed, but somebody who really does love Jesus. For us, for much of our lives, it's been, you know, parents that um, our kids played sports with. Uh, and we've had the privilege over the years to see a number of those parents, again, far from all of them, but several of those parents give their life to Jesus as their Savior. But But it happened because we decided to be intentional about building relationships with them. Now it tends for us to be neighbors. It might be somebody you work with or somebody that you see regularly. But but here's, again, I'm not about pushing Jesus on anybody. But I am about initiating relationships with people in order to give God the place to open opportunities. And so for some of us, we need some more outsiders in our inner circles. You know, for too long... A lot of Christians took the words to come out from among them and be separate to mean don't have anything to do with any non-Christians. But listen, the people around us have got to see more of us than just that our car pulls out of the driveway and goes to church on Sundays. We've got to let them close enough. We've got to seek out those opportunities to be intentional 
about building relationships with non-believers. And we got a cool church opportunity, church-wide opportunity this summer that Darcy's going to come and uh, give you some facts on that right now. You know, I can honestly say I've never, ever thought about troll spit before. And <laughs> I don't think I felt like it either. So, But that's, that's interesting, and I'm probably going to remember that. Um, but I'm here to talk about neighborhood Bible clubs, and I feel like I kind of need to bring you along on the process of why God has led me in this direction to present it to you. And really, it's born out out of a love to take the gospel outside of this building and into our neighborhoods and into our streets. And um, and truly for a love for Vacation Bible School as well. Uh, two things about Vacation Bible School. One, kids hear and some receive and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And two is watching the body of believers come together and set aside everything else in their week and just go and do this and use their gifts and talents um, to just make Jesus known to these kids. And so that that just, um, you know, I don't think there's anything that's better than that for me anyway. And so I get very excited at the prospect of that. And so it's been a hard concept to think, well, what would something other than that look like? And so I started praying, and I, I wrote down this prayer to share with you. And I started praying this a couple of years ago. And it goes like this. Lord, show me how to do something so big that your name would be glorified, that the light of Jesus would shine in us as a body of believers, and that no one person could receive the credit or not even a group of people, but only you. And, you know, I think from hearing the gospel and truly understanding it to a greater level and depth and God just drawing me nearer to himself. And I've got to believe that you guys have had the same experience, that you were just growing in the knowledge of that great love and that great sacrifice that Christ died for us. And I just have that desire to to go and tell people, <clears throat> excuse me, go and tell people that are lost about that and just say, you know what you're missing? And so as that has grown inside me, so has a desire to to do something bigger for God. And so Neighborhood Bible Clubs is um, an opportunity to take the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our streets, and share Christ with children in our neighborhoods. And, you know, and I envision um, families with young kids doing this, maybe small groups that have the gifts and talents to go and... Um, the desire to do that. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of the nuts and bolts about it so you can decide if this is something that God might have you do. So having a neighborhood Bible club, I'm going to call it NBC, involves holding a five-day, Monday through Friday, mini vacation Bible school in your front yard or your driveway or your garage or your backyard or your basement, wherever you can vision having kids come and hear the gospel. And um, that would be being a host. And we also would need teachers. And the host is not the teacher because that's just too much for a person to do. The teacher would be either recruited by you or us. And I'll tell you who us is in a, a little bit. Um, also consists of a prayer partner 
just start praying right now. We're going to ask prayer partners to start praying immediately for those people that um, want to have clubs. And we do have people, praise the Lord, that have already shared that with us. And we have teachers that are going, I'll teach. I mean, I had so many people out there first hour just saying, I'll do this, I'll do that. And it's just like, thank you, Jesus. So, um, you know, I want to go shine for Jesus, and I hope you do too. The daily schedule would look like this. It would include a clear gospel message, and there will be training on how to give that gospel message. Um, there'll be a Bible lesson along with the uh, gospel presentation, and there'll be games and memory verse, upbeat music with motions, and a craft act- activity. The time frame is one hour and 15 minutes, and it can be held either in the morning or the evening. The afternoon's okay too, but um, just from the research I've done, the morning, the evening it has the best turnouts. Um, and it, I already told you what the club c- would consist of. So um, let me tell you a little bit about the support for you. I call these people the dream team of the NBC leadership because um, only God could bring these people together and you would have a lot of support. You would be giving uh, basically all of the materials except for maybe gra- crafts and games, but to teach. And between the teacher and the host, those would be provided for you. And we'll have a coach for every area. So all the areas that I mentioned, um, host, teacher, prayer, music, games, will have their own specific coach. And those coaches are Fran Flowers, Emily Gifford. I'm going to look at my notes, make sure I don't forget anybody. Um, Janet Firebaugh, Brett Starr, Sharon Rogers, and Pat Hayes. So as you can see you would have a lot of help and support. Uh, so there's two things today I'm asking you to do. And I'm asking, number one, for all of you to pray. If you would all pray and ask the Lord to use us to carry the light of Jesus to shine in dark places. And to pray for neighborhood Bible clubs. Um, envision people in your neighborhoods. You know, I'm here in Gehanna. And, um, you know, we have people from Whitehall and New Albany and Blackwick, Westerville, Dublin, Hilliard. Pray for your community and the lost neighbors that you have and that their children and their um, siblings of those kids and the parents, the entire families would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I know that's a great big prayer, but our God is a great big God and he's big enough. Second thing, I'm asking some of you. I know this is not for everybody, but I do believe it is for some of you. And whether it be your family or your small group, I'd ask you to consider prayerfully thinking about being a host. And I have put together this handbook, which is a little different from this brochure. The brochure in your worship folder gives you some general information and and answers some questions. But this host handbook really tells you all about Bible clubs. And it's going to be out here at the Neighborhood Bible Club kiosk, and I'll be out there, too, to answer any questions. And it was funny. The first hour, people came up, and they're looking at me, and I was talking to somebody else, and they're kind of like, if I take one, does that make me commit? No. There's there's plenty. Don't be afraid. Take one. It's it's just paper. You can read all about it. And um, I just thank you. I appreciate it. All right, so let's get excited about praying about this because point one, evangelism starts with prayer. Second point is a lot of us need to increase the number of outsiders in our inner circle. And then here's the third point. 
is that we need to be gracious, kind, and caring people. I think that is what Paul is saying here in verse 6. He says, and let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to be gracious, kind, and caring people. Because, you know, a lot of times Christians aren't. Somewhere along the way, some of us started thinking it's more important to show how right we are instead of being loving. And yet I think, you know, of first century Christians, they were known as people who made an impact and were loving and kind and caring and gracious. It was first century Christians who rescued and adopted the abandoned children. It was a, it was a culture that threw away children. If, if they had a child who had a disability or a child that wasn't a boy or a child that wasn't what they were, they just left them out to die. It was Christians that became known as the people who rescued those babies and took them into their own homes and adopted them as their own children and raised them. It was Christians in the first century. You know, plagues were very common. It was Christians that were known as the people that when everyone else was streaming away from those areas, it was Christians, healthy Christians, who were streaming in to care to take care of people who were plagued. And yet too often Christians in our culture, doesn't it break your heart every time you see Christians portrayed as mean and nasty and self-righteous? And sometimes we deserve that. I've seen that side of Christianity, haven't you? I've been that side of Christianity. But I don't want to be. I don't want to be. Janet this past week was um, saw the, the lady who she was in a hospital room with a while back, and uh, she went over to, to spend some time with her, and uh, she was sharing the gospel with her. And as she was doing, she said, Well, you know, all the Christians I've ever known have been mean and nasty people. What a shame. What a shame. See, the way it ought to be is people ought to say, well, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I believe all that Christian stuff, but man, I sure hope I work for a Christian. Cause you know, I, I had a Christian one time and he or she was the best boss I ever had. I mean, they weren't any pushovers, but man, they were honest and fair and they treated me with respect. I don't know if I want to be a Christian, but I sure hope I can work for one. Or, you know, I don't know if I buy all that Christian stuff, but I sure hope I live near one. Because, you know, the neighbors that I've had that are Christians, they've been people who've been kind. And they've reached out and extended themselves to us. They've been so gracious and accepting. Man, I don't know if I want to be a Christian, but I sure want to live next to one. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of Christians we all need to be. If we're going to make an impact with the gospel. And so because I want to be that kind of Christian, here's what I do. I preach the gospel to myself every day. And I rest and rely on who I am in Christ. That it's not how good I am because I don't come even close to measuring up. But it's who I am in Christ that I'm hidden in Him. And I rejoice in that and I celebrate in that. And I invite you to join me in seeking to be the kind of person that causes other people to want to know Jesus too. So let's pray together towards that end. Will you join me? Lord Jesus, I just pray that, that the gospel not only gets into us, but that it does so in such a way that it flows out of us as well.
so that we become people who who just live out grace. That we become known not as perfect people, but as people who authentically have embraced this glorious message of a God who loves us more than we could imagine being loved, of a Savior who died on our on a cross for our place, that we are who we are because of who we are in you. God, let it live out through our actions and through our words. Lord, help us to, to, to form hearts like your hearts for the lost people around us, people we work with, people we go to school with, neighbors, friends, family members, Jesus. Help us to, to get serious about praying for these people, to get serious about developing relationships with people. Because we want them to know and love you too, Jesus. And so empower us to not be goofy, to not be weird, to not be obnoxious, but to authentically represent you with our actions and our words, all for your glory we pray. Amen.